Welcome to this Monday, July 31st edition of Good Morning Vale. And since it's Monday, we're going to be talking business today. We've got tons of useful business advice for you from Bill Humbert, the recruiter guy, on how to find the right fit for your company culture. We'll also be talking to a couple of coaches about ways to change your mindset or help improve your capacity at work. And we'll also be talking to a recruiter about other ways to really specialize in talent acquisition. So, Good Morning Vale starts now. Welcome back to the show. Bill Humbert, also known as the Recruiter Guy, is a frequent guest with us who has fantastic advice on how to find the right job for you or how to find the right employee, depending on which side of that table you're on. He talked to me a little bit ago about some fantastic ways to look for the right company culture fit, whether you're an employee looking for a job or an employer looking for that right employee. Let's hear what he has to Welcome back to the show. We are once again joined by recruiter guy, Bill Humbert, who's got some fantastic advice for us on how to find the right employees to fit our company culture. Welcome to the show, Bill. Hey, Ben. It's great to be here. How are you today? It is great to see you again. I'm doing really well. So talking a little bit about company culture and trying to find the right candidates for our fit, where would you start? Well, the most important thing to understand is that cultural fits are important, but they're difficult to figure out really what the company's culture is. And secondly, many companies have stopped conducting reference checks. 
And when I talked to, I spoke at a couple SHRM conferences and, and after I spoke, people came up to me and they said, we just can't seem to find people who are, are a great cultural fit. And, and I look at them and I said, well, what do you ask during your reference checks? And they say, oh, we don't do any reference checks. We might get sued. I had a suspicion that reference checks weren't actually happening. I, I, that was something that I've been thinking about for a while. It's like, I'm putting all this information in here. Is anybody actually following up? No, and I have a news flash for those companies. Let's hear Everything it. they do can get them sued. Yeah. Well, and it's something that I've thought about too, is that if you're, if you are looking for a reference from somebody and it's a company that you're no longer with, whatever that reason might be, I know a lot of people who've been hesitant to refer past employers because they're worried that that past employers only got bad things to say about them and they don't necessarily want to open themselves up to that. Is that something that you've experienced or do you find that a lot of recruiters or not recruiters, but references are more even handed and more fair to their past employees? Well, it depends obviously on the person's performance. You know, if, if they were terrible employee, they're going to get a terrible reference. It's kind of an equal, <laughs> totally. but yeah. if they were a great employee, then they're going, the, the reference is going to want to see them succeed. And in the hope that maybe someday they'll, you know, gain some new knowledge and then come back and join them again. And MCI telecommunications back in the eighties, that's what they were known for. Um, the uh, CEO would say, come on board. Don't plan on building a career here. Stay five years, learn a lot of really cool things. Go to another cool company, learn some more cool things. And five years later, come back and contribute again. So different people have different perspectives on that. But I do have a story. And, well, and this, is, this has happened four times in 42 years. But my favorite one was... I called a reference of this woman programmer analyst and it was the manager. And she, um, she took my call and I said, uh, so-and-so gave me your name as a reference. Now in all four cases, the person burst out laughing and said, did they give you my name as a reference? <laughs> And in one case, that one that I was referring to, after she stopped laughing, she said, I fired her two weeks ago. <laughs> so, you know, that didn't go over so well. Um, I would imagine not. <laughs> so it, I suggest that what you do is you contact your references before you give them out or even before you start your search and then say before someone calls you, I'll call you and let you know what the job is and give you some background. And then, um, you know, you can tell them, give them a reference based on what it is that they need. Well, I'm sure that gives the references an opportunity to prepare a little bit too, as opposed to getting caught by surprise and being like, oh, 
what did Kevin do for me? Oh my God, I don't remember. It gives him a little bit of a chance to have something right there and ready, which I'm sure looks a lot better too to the potential employer. Having somebody who's like, oh yeah, it's stuck in my memory so well that I've got all of this information prepared. Exactly. That's perfect. And and when when candidates do that, they'll find that they'll be much more successful with the reference checks and therefore more successful in their search. And for both candidates and companies, I would imagine that finding a good cultural fit is something that requires a lot of introspection for both the candidate and the potential employer. Or is there any advice you have to kind of like figure out a little bit of your company culture just, or the company culture that you're looking for as a potential candidate? So, so generally, the corporate culture is like a dome. And it's formed by the executives. What most people don't understand is within that dome, every manager has their own little culture for their own group. And so deciding on what is a corporate culture can be very difficult. Generally speaking, though, there's the top-down cultures where the executives, managers make the decisions and everybody has to do the work. Um, and that's probably like your dad's landscape business. Definitely is. I mean, he's very much a top-down manager. Right. And and then the other is, is the culture where they build consensus and the people doing the work have feedback for the manager and the manager accepts that feedback. Now, have you heard of uh, lean manufacturing processes? I've heard a little bit about some of them. I wouldn't say that I'm terribly familiar about it though. Yeah, well, back in the uh, 1980s, the Japanese automakers were cleaning our clocks here in the US because they, they were the ones that discovered lean manufacturing. And in lean manufacturing, what happens is the workers on the line, they know where the waste is. And so they have Kaizen events that last one week and they eliminate the waste from this specific part of the manufacturing process. The same can be true in any other process in a company. There's gonna be waste that the workers are aware of and therefore it's important to accept their suggestions and then make a decision whether you want to do it or not. Absolutely. And it sounds like that Kaizen method is a great way to kind of incorporate a little bit of that feedback for people who are looking for a little bit more information. I'm sure you can tell us a little bit more about your book right before we go. So I'm easy to find on recruiterguide.com and my book expect success, the science of the over 50 career search received a five-star review where the person doing the review, uh, Joe Wasinski from Reader's Favorite said, you don't have to be 50. I wish I had this a couple of years ago when I was looking for my new job. And it also was selected as one of the 100 plus best business books by the C-Suite Network. So okay. it's it's been, uh, it's been getting a great ride. And if somebody wants to talk to me either about cultural fit or about a career search. If they go to recruiterguide.com and click on speak with Bill, that's my calendar appointment. And you can find some time on my calendar and put yourself in and we can talk for a half hour. 
Well, perfect. Bill Humbert, the recruiter guy, thank you so much for joining us. And if people can check out your website for more information, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. And have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Ben. You too. Awesome. And thank you guys so much for joining us. We will be right back after the short break. Welcome back to Good Morning Vale. We had the chance to catch up with talent acquisition manager, Emily Gross, on some more tips and tricks on how to really help us find the right people for the jobs that we've got open. Let's take a look. Welcome back to our show. Now, I am so excited because I have a wonderful personal friend and professional friend as well joining me on the couch. We have some excellent business tips and tricks and how to land the perfect interview and present yourself best. Joining me today on the couch is talent acquisition manager and business consultant, Emily Gross. Hi. How are you, Emily? I am so thrilled to be here with my dear friend, Kim, and hopefully share some helpful tips today. Yeah, I think you are, um, what you do is very successful. And so you're a talent acquisition manager. Tell yes. me a little bit about what that means. Yeah, so I manage a team of recruiters. I absolutely love recruiting, talent acquisition. I'm super passionate about people finding career fulfillment. And that all starts with your journey in the job hunt. Yeah, so you manage a team of recruiters, but you obviously started at the, started at the ground level. So yes. as a recruiter, what are things that you typically look for when you start with with screening candidates absolutely um this is really your chance as a candidate to get out there tell your story be your own brand and i always say go out there and get what you want you know what i mean think about opportunities that you want look for them online there's lots of different ways to search for them and go after it this is a chance to really get the right match for you well, things have definitely changed on the job search. So yes. you are no longer confined to just your local city because there are remote jobs and jobs nationwide. So tell me about how you would go about looking for a job all over the, the U.S. Yeah, I actually think this is super exciting because we are no longer limited to our geo area um, of when we're looking for our next opportunity. You can actually go into many of the job search platforms, LinkedIn, Indeed, and change that location to remote. It's going to pull up all the remote opportunities, and that opens you up essentially to the entire U.S. So lots of opportunities out there. Absolutely. So as a candidate mm -hmm. or a job seeker, what would you recommend as the first steps? What's the first thing that I should do as I begin my job search? Absolutely. Um, there's a few things. So I would definitely start with your resume. Um, and resumes traditionally have been listing your titles, the companies, and then job responsibilities and duties. Let's switch that up to actual accomplishments, things that you have accomplished, and make them as measurable as possible. So as quantitative as possible, increase 20% of sales within six months, um, started a new project, launched this, you know, hosted this event on this date, just so we can really be enticed to talk to you more. Um, also your LinkedIn page, that's your chance to also put a professional photo up there to show a little bit more of your opportunity, a little bit more of your personality. Um, so there's lots of different ways to entice people to want to talk to you more. And that's really the goal with the first step. I think nowadays LinkedIn is almost everything. It's, it's the professional version of social media and we're all at our, on our phones all the time. So having interactive things 
is really interesting. It's amazing because now you can actually send direct messages to um, companies that I say, like you have a company crush or a, a crush on a potential job opportunity. Um, you can just send them a message and express your enthusiasm for their company. Um, if there is a company that you really like or a job opportunity, do some research, see their recent press. You know, have they had any recent milestones as a company, any accomplishments? Um, put that into a message and really show your enthusiasm and that you care, you're up to date. Um, that's a way to really stand out. Okay, so you've secured the first interview. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how to prepare for that. Yes. Um, also in today's world, there are different platforms and different ways that interviews can be conducted. Anything from a phone interview to a video interview to an in-person interview. Uh, with the video interviews, some people can be kind of new to this. Really take your time to prepare for these. Make sure you're in a quiet, professional space with no distractions. Make sure that your background is clean, neat, and as simple as possible. We don't want any distractions. Also make sure your Wi-Fi connection is very secure, um, that you have tested whatever platform that they have asked you to use. Um, there's Hire View, there's Spark Hire. All of those have tutorials and sample interviews that you can do on your own on their websites. Highly recommend that you do that so that when you go into the interview, the tech stuff, you got it down. Now you're just focused on showing that personality and sharing all those accomplishments. And then there's the classic Zoom, which we love yes. to use here on TV. Absolutely. So you've got the interview, your technology is great, lighting is good, and you want to make sure that it's facing you like we do here. Spotlight <laughs> is on you. You're going to want that spotlight on you, not coming from behind. So it sounds simple, but trust me, it's really going to make you look really professional and really good. So what advice would you give when in the middle of the interview? What kind of information should you share? Are there follow-up questions? Tell me more about that. Yes, absolutely. I would recommend anyone before they're starting an interview um, to definitely think about their career, think about those specific examples um, that you've had in your career and write those down. Because when they ask you questions such as, how are you at overcoming challenges in the workplace? Stay away from saying language like, well, I usually or I always and give them a specific example of a challenge that you faced. Where were you working? What were the challenges? What did you specifically do? And then don't forget, what was that outcome? Giving specific examples is really what they're looking for. Whenever I hear that a candidate was not selected, the feedback I most hear is that they weren't specific enough. So prepare all that ahead of time so all your stories are on the tip of your tongue, ready to share. So how would you advise on preparation? Like, what, what would you do? How do you figure out, okay, what are the things that I can add to this potential opportunity? Yeah, definitely do your research, like I said, on the company, on the person that is interviewing you. Usually they send you their name. Check out their LinkedIn, just some general information um, so you can know a little bit more about them and how to connect with them during the interview because that's an important part as well. Um, and yeah, just express your enthusiasm, ask questions. I always say they usually close the interview with, do you have any questions for us? always have one prepared because it's very easy to not be able to come up with one after you just completed an interview um, and showing that you have a question is again showing your interest you've got the wheels turning you're thinking about joining the company um, and so always have a question prepared at the end okay great you know I, I love to ask questions which is why <laughs> I sit here so what kind of questions would you advise you mentioned to to be prepared and know about the company but what's a really good follow-up question Sure. I mean, um, you can ask a company um, how much they plan on scaling within the next six months. You know, what are their plans for this role? Does this um, role plan to have a team around it eventually? Um, you know, do they have any new products coming out, new services? I mean, it depends on the industry, but just ask them about their upcoming plans or maybe do your research and say, I saw a little bit that you guys are planning on doing this, like would love to hear more. So again, showing that you did your due diligence and showing your interest. 
Awesome. And then you can always ask about the position itself. What are the expectations yes. there? That's a, a, a fail-safe interview question. I know Absolutely. I've used it plenty of times That's a great in, one. in my job searches in the past. So, Emily, what would you advise? Where can we go to find more resources on how to update a resume, how to interview? What else would you say? Yeah, well, there's a ton online, and thank goodness for YouTube and all that stuff. Um, but anyone's welcome to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. My name is Emily Gross. I'm happy to answer any questions anyone might have. Um, but it's a really exciting time when you're starting your job hunt. Well, Emily, you are wonderful. I love having you here on the couch. I think your energy is so contagious and obviously really good at what you do. So if you, um, if you have any last advice, what's that one thing you would tell a candidate? I would say really don't be afraid to show your enthusiasm. People want to, companies want to hire people that want to be there. That is going to be worth their investment in you because you're more likely to stay for longer. Um, even if someone's super qualified, but they're not acting very interested in the role, they haven't done their research, they're not prepared, you know, that doesn't look like a great investment for the company. So don't be afraid to show that enthusiasm. So oftentimes enthusiasm wins the job. So it can. It can. <laughs> awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise. We appreciate you being here on the show. My pleasure. Absolutely. Well, now, stay tuned. We have a lot more in store, so we'll be right back after this. Good morning, Bill. Hi, I'm Rachel Tenenbaum, and I am a neurotransformational coach. That's a mouthful, I know. Effectively, what that means is that I help people understand and tinker with their brains so that they can get more of the results and the meaningful change that they want out of their lives and out of their leadership. Have you ever been so stressed that it was overwhelming, that it riddled your body? I've had that moment. I was living in New York, I was working exhaustive hours. I prided myself on being able to handle more than most, overseeing and managing many diverse aspects of the business, but I was overwhelmed and I felt undersupported. I was traveling almost every week, sometimes multiple times a week, and I was holding on by a thread. But I was holding on. And then, in the course of one week, I broke up with my best friend, the man that I was going to marry, and it was heartbreaking. I had to say goodbye to the very entrenched future that we had envisioned and to my rock, my support. That was a lot on that already thin thread. 
And then in that same week, not even two days later, my mother called. My grandmother's cancer had returned and they needed to operate immediately. But in her condition and at her age, they didn't know if she would survive. And the next day, my father called. He had prostate cancer and it had riddled his body. Within days, I was so stressed, I was throwing up bile and foam and I couldn't even see out of one eye. I was rushed to the hospital and doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong, so eventually they told me it must be stress. And you think, you would think that that would have been the moment, that would have been the moment that had me shift everything. But in many ways I went back to my old ways, but it did plant some really critical seeds. I began to look at how I was living my life, what was running on my life, my choices, the drivers, how he's managing stress. And over the course of the following months and the following years, I took courses, I dug into trainings, I read books, and I realized with time something essential. Down to my bones and it's like I woke up. I realized that while we do not always have the ability to change circumstances, and while we do not always have control over what happens, we do have control over how we respond to it. We do have control over how we experience it. And it is courageous and also one of the most difficult things for us to do as human beings. And when we do, when we truly begin to take ownership over our lives and our experiences, the floodgates to our potential, the floodgates to the ways in which we get to experience and live our lives open up. There's this wild misperception that stress is a bad thing. Stress can actually be an extraordinarily good thing. And when we have too much stress, when we don't know how to manage our stress, when stress overwhelms and overtakes us and we don't have the tools to short circuit the flow of chemicals in our brain, our body, that's when we get overwhelmed. That's when we break. That's when we burn out. And right now, across the country, across the globe, people are burning out minute after minute after minute. And so one of the most essential things that we can begin to understand is not only the correlation between stress and our well-being and how we actually do need stress, but how when we get from that sort of, it's called Goldilocks, that Goldilocks sweet spot of just right into the too much, how do we get ourselves from that too much back to that just right? Or how do we begin to notice that we're stepping over the line of that just right into too much? Because the more and more that we get to know ourselves, the more and more that we get to know our personal poker tells, which help us know when we're getting from just right to too much, the more that we can short circuit and mitigate that overflow of chemicals so that we're not overwhelmed. Because when we have too much stress, we can't think clearly, we can't see completely, it narrows our scope of vision, it narrows what we're able to hear. And so we're taking in less data, less information, and then we're acting on a very narrow snippet of data and information, which doesn't support us. Doesn't support us in our relationships, does not support us in our careers and our leadership. I have a client who, I think at the end of the day, a big part of what I help people do is live more in alignment with who they are and their greater goals, right? And I have a client who, exceptional human being, but when, he, when we started our work together, you might be able to relate, had many successes, but didn't truly believe and own his potential. Right. And so constantly, this is an executive, 
constantly did not believe in his own potential. And he was chasing after a C-suite position of major global companies because he wanted to prove, not just to himself, but to his deceased father Oof. and to a deceased boss just how successful he could be. And imagine building your life, and so many of us do this, trying to prove to somebody who no longer even exists on this realm what our potential is. And so when we took a step back and we actually looked at what he wanted for his life and what he wanted to create, he realized that he wanted to really spend time with this new family that he was, he was creating. He was getting married for the second time, having a second child. He was creating a new family. He wanted to spend more time with the daughter that he already had. She was already in her late teens. And that mattered to him. So when he got offered the COO position of a major global company, he opted for a great executive position at another company because it would enable him to live in a way that was aligned for him. Because when you do that, it actually increases productivity, it increases well-being, it supports the whole. There's a wonderful Buddha saying that you can't stop the first arrow, the things that happen in life, but you can stop the second. That second arrow is how we feel about those moments, it's how much we ruminate over those moments. And for me, it's not just the second arrow, it's the 200th and the 2000th arrow because oftentimes we'll take that arrow out and then we'll just have fun stabbing ourselves with it. <laughs> continuing to think about the things that happened to the past, continuing to think about how it's gonna influence the future, continuing to think about how that defines who we are and the future to come. And that pain, that we cause ourselves because that moment's past, it is over. And at any moment, with a single breath, we can reset, we can begin again. We do not need to carry those arrows with us into this moment, the next moment, and the future moment. And so one of the greatest things that we can realize is to stop and pause and to realize, okay, something happened. And how much are we living it and reliving it? Because the brain doesn't know the difference between perceived reality, what we create in our minds, and actual reality. And so in those moments, with that second arrow and that 2000s arrow, we are living it again and again and again as if it were happening in that moment, as if it were real. It's multifaceted. First and foremost, it's really providing tools so that people can start to become more self-aware because for me, it's about empowering people to be able to do this on their own, right? So they can navigate, they can become more self-aware, they can be more conscious of their triggers and then we can start to look at it, right? And I'm really good at not just listening to what's said, but listening to what's not being said and to hearing various levels and then holding up a mirror. Um, I also say I often shine a flashlight into areas that people don't want to look um, or where they're not even conscious, that they're not conscious that those corners exist. And I just shine a flashlight and say, hey, like, is it worth looking here from what I've noticed? And that enables people, it gives people a greater vision and a greater scope and um, a greater ability to look at where they are and then chart that right path forward, but also look at what's the hindrance, what's getting in their way between where they are now and where they want to be. And a lot of that often tends to be reactivity or self-debilitating thoughts or fears. And so when we can start to peel those away and actually move beyond them 
anything was possible. I've worked with Fortune 100 companies to small and mighty companies. And so when I work with an organization, I don't have a cookie cutter approach. I have a lot of tools, I have a lot of, a lot of tips, a lot of tricks, a lot of information that once leveraged can be transformative and will be transformative. And it also depends upon where you're at, what the budget is. And so whenever an organization comes to me and says, okay, great, we need support around leadership development or we need support around stress navigation. We sit down, we look at where you're at, where you wanna be, and how much you are able and willing to invest in that. I can be reached at my email, which is rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, <laughs> at iamliving.us. And then I believe there's also a QR code that's gonna come up on the screen. And with that, there's three options. You can book a one-on-one -on -one leadership call with me. Um, they'll be able to book a corporate call with me to discuss how I can bring some of these trainings and tools into your organization. And you can also just sign up for the newsletter. And then I do a lot of free events or low-cost events um, that are available to everybody. And in the newsletter, there's always, I always try to share nuggets of information, tips, tools, and tricks. So three different links to get whatever it is that will support you the most. Welcome back to the show. We had Sarah Goldberg on of Goldberg Lay Law to help us with some immigration law advice. So many of the businesses here in the Vail Valley rely on workers from other places to make things work. And she's got some wonderful advice on how we can help keep those employees around. Let's hear what she has to say. Welcome back to Good Morning Vale. Now we have some special guests joining us in studio and very interesting subject matter, especially as we head into the height of our summer season and heading into the winter. Joining me on the couch today is Sarah Goldberg, founder and immigration attorney of Goldberg Law. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here this morning. Yeah, it's so exciting. I think what you do is so interesting and uh, very helpful to so many people here in our community. So tell me a little bit about Goldberg Law. How did you start? Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm i a product of the immigration story. My father was an, is an immigration attorney in Houston, Texas, and then my mom is an immigrant. So on her side, I'm a first generation uh, born American. And so I've had such a passion about learning about people from different cultures and communities. And I also have a passion of learning different languages. I know three languages. Wow. And uh, I've just always been interested in that area and trying to help people make a better life for themselves in this amazing country that we have. That's incredible. So you started in Houston and then you came here to the Vale Valley. So tell us a little bit about how your journey. You've been in business for about a year now and you probably get all kinds of questions from employers or people just wanting to understand the process better. Yes, I have a number of employers who will call me and they'll say, I really love this employee. I'd like to help him or her and I don't really know where to start on that or I'll be, I'll be told, this person has been here for decades, can't we do something for them so that they can get the paperwork that they need to have a better life for themselves? And so I field lots of questions from employers about that because they're interested in the life, 
the livelihood of their employees to make their lives better here. And by helping their employees, it also helps their business. Absolutely. And, you know, it is so important because tourism is a huge part of the local economy here. And we have wonderful immigrant workers that help us, you know, keep things running. And you can just see it, especially in the quiet times, just to see the local community. And it's such a cool thing to see all of the different flavors that are here. So if you were to give advice, how do people start? You know, if they're looking to you as an immigrant or as an employer, what would you typically do to start the process? Sure. Well, for an employer, sometimes the employer will say, I'm a U.S. worker, I'm a U.S. citizen, I have my own business, this person has been with me for 20 years, I'd like to help him get a green card, get permanent residence. And so I will then start asking the employer certain questions about the immigrant. Sometimes that employer knows the answer, sometimes the employer doesn't because they don't want to get so deep into that personal level mm -hmm. with the employee. So at that point, then I'll just say, let's have a consultation either with the employer and the employee or with the employee on their own so that that employee can feel comfortable enough to communicate with me about where did that person come from? How did they get here? What year did they come? Did they come with a visa or not? Mm -hmm. And these are really important questions to try to field and navigate um, to assist that person in getting the proper paperwork they need to lawfully live and work here. Amazing. And you know, it's probably not one story is the same. So you probably are navigating all kinds of situations and really thinking on your feet every single day. Oh, that's for sure. I think that uh, uh, we're very blessed if you're born in the United States and you have that U.S. passport. Many times we don't even think about traveling to a different country. We can just go without even applying for a visa in order to enter. Mm -hmm. But especially folks from Latino countries or uh, from many countries around the world, they can't just access the United States with their own passport. They need to apply for a visa, which is very difficult to obtain, mm -hmm. which is why many folks end up just crossing the border without a visa. and. Uh, start making roots here Absolutely. and um, so then that ends up being challenging for them to live here lawfully so it's uh, it's definitely very interesting because people come here with all sorts of stories and backgrounds and um, whether it's traveling by foot mm -hmm. from foreign countries into the United States and they bring all sorts of life situations that I can't even imagine occur to them but they have this drive to want to make a better life for themselves here and to work and uh, improve the community in which they're at. Absolutely, and you know, making a better life for themselves and their families. Now, children that are born in the U.S. don't necessarily guarantee citizenship. So tell me a little bit more about that, and it does not provide any immunity as well. That's correct. So uh, the term is called anchor baby, meaning that sometimes individuals think that when they have a U.S. citizen child born here, which is, again, an amazing gift that America provides, mm -hmm. because people who are born in other countries, sometimes they're not they don't get the citizenship of that country. For example, I had a client who is Syrian, but he was born in the UAE. Well, he's never been to Syria, but because his parents were born, because his parents were Syrian and he was born in the UAE, he still only has a Syrian passport, although he's never been there. Wow. While as Americans, if, you're, if you are born in the United States on US soil, you are a US citizen. And sometimes individuals think that as an anchor baby, an individual, once you have a child here, that means you are guaranteed to be able to remain here. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of my clients 
they like to make lots of babies. <laughs> and unfortunately, that doesn't guarantee that individual to stay here. So they, it's very important, especially when you have a family, to try to figure out how can I stay here legally and uh, keep my roots here? Because I know I've got now five kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and as a mother of children, I always think it's important. How do I keep my family together? And that's always a goal of mine with clients is I tell them, how can we keep you together with your family? Because I try to, I guess, do things a little more conservatively because I don't want to put people at risk of mm -hmm. breaking families apart. Absolutely. I'm always worried about that. Uh, yeah, and that's so impressive, first of all. I love that you have that many children and you're able to really pour into the family values in, in your work as well. So out of curiosity, how many of your cases are employers? How many are families? Do you have an equal mix of both? Tell me a little bit more. Yes, you know, because I'm a uh, solo practitioner, as in I'm working just with myself, I do have staff that help me. I, I would say that the business is an ebb and flow in terms of I'll start to get a lot of deportation clients, then I'll have employer cases, and then I'll have family. So it's really a mix of what I do, but I only do immigration. Because I tell folks, immigration is so complicated. Y'all hear about it in the news. I, and there's only, it, it changes constantly. And um, because it's federal law, a lot of it has to do with what does the president, how does he want to direct immigration today? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure y'all hear about it in the news of, oh, there's all these folks coming across the border. How do we handle this? And that continues to change because it's just a human reality, right? Mm -hmm. We can't control that. And um, especially during, I think, the warmer months, more folks end up coming mm -hmm. um, because maybe it's a bit of a safer journey. Uh, I haven't had to do that trek, thank God. <laughs> but... Um, Yes, that's how it goes. So uh, I do handle all sorts of different kinds, but it's only immigration. So on employment base, that could be uh, whether an employer is sponsoring an employee, whether an individual is trying to start a business here, how can they do that? And on the family side, if a child is a US citizen and 21 years old, that's the time when they can sponsor their parents. And actually, that's when a lot of folks end up starting to contact me. My kid is, is 20, is about to be 21. How can they help me? Oh, wow, that's great. That's actually really a, a cool, cool option to know that your parents raised you and then you're able to kind of help support and give them a better life as well. Oh, yes, yeah. I love it. And I, I mean, I think that's such a value mm -hmm. that I, I really hold dearly. I always tell my kids like, look, we have to help each other. Yeah. And because it, it doesn't stop when a kid turns 21. Now it's maybe their turn to help their parents in some small way. It, it doesn't have to be a lot to get to that point. And, but it can make such a huge difference in someone's life. Sure. Now, you mentioned um, it seems to be you have more immigrants coming in in the warmer months. Do you see things differently locally here in the Vail Valley? Because, you know, we have such harsh winters, which we love. We love the not harsh, but, you know, it is much colder. And so tell me a little more about that. Sure. Well, one thing I've noticed is that a lot of folks come here uh, during the winter, especially with sponsored visas such as the J-1 visa or the H-2B visa. And sometimes when an immigrant ends up coming to the U.S., they like it mm -hmm. and they want to stay. And then that's the point when then they're trying to navigate on how can I stay here? What are options for me? Whether that's changing their visa status to something like a tourist or a student visa, but there might be other options available to them that they never knew about. So I'm always telling people, please 
just get that consultation with an experienced immigration attorney who knows what they're doing. So at least you have that knowledge to know how to move forward with your life. Wonderful. Now, Sarah, tell us where we can go to find your practice and information if people want to schedule a consultation with you. Sure. So I'm located at 82 East Beaver Creek Boulevard, number 200 in Avon, Colorado, down the street from here. Awesome. You can walk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my website is www.lawgoldberg.com. L-A-W-G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G.com. And what's really, I, I don't know, one thing that I try to offer to folks is that you get to speak to me. The attorney. It's not always like that, yes. unfortunately. So true. Oh, you are so approachable and so friendly and welcoming, and I'm sure your clients love you. And hopefully we can help generate and really make people's lives better. So thank you for all the work that you do. We appreciate having you here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Absolutely. Thank you. Sarah, you are wonderful. So <laughs> stay tuned. We have a lot more here on the second half of our show. So we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to this July 31st, Monday edition of Good Morning Vale. I'm your host, Ben Roof. We've got a great second hour in store for you today. We'll be checking out a fantastic home up in Mountain Star, talking to a couple of wonderful authors about women empowerment, and we'll be going to Kimosabe with Avija and Vale Vibes. The second hour of Good Morning Vale starts now. Welcome back. Ty Stockton of the Stockton Group Realty stopped by to tell us all about a wonderful home they have up in Mountain Star that's currently on the market. Let's hear what he has to say. 
Welcome back to Good Morning Vale. It's always a pleasure to have Mr. Ty Stockton in the studio with the Stockton Group, with Compass, talking about some amazing properties here in the Valley. Now, in the world-class setting that we're in, Ty, when you hear breathtaking views, opulent amenities, luxurious design, and world-class location, you think of this huge, amazing ski resort that is set here in the mountains. But those describe some of these properties that you're showcasing with the Stockton Group. Absolutely, and th those are great words to use because we have a lot of amazing homes here. And today, we're gonna talk about 47 Wood Violet. And what I love is it's located in the gated community of Mountain Star. And a lot of people, viewers, um, this is why we come in, we wanna talk about it, we wanna educate people on that area because it's on the opposite side of Beaver Creek. So you have these sweeping views and you see you know, the Sawatch Range and um, Grouse Mountain, and those are dramatic, you know, and, and that is so much about Mountain Star. You drive through the gate and as soon as you make that switch back, bam, there it is. And uh, the homeowners up there, they love it because it's gated. They love it because there's a lot of open space mm -hmm. and um, the lots on average are bigger. This is over two and a half acres. Wow. Compared to say downtown Vail or Beaver Creek, you may, if you, a, a decent sized lot there may be, you know, half an acre. So you have more space plus the open space. And this particular home, as we talked about before we went on the air, is it uh, has been meticulously uh, renovated in a contemporary style. And what I love about that is, you know, we've had a lot of people that are seeking new homes, um, but as you know, over the last several years, there's just been this trend towards more modern, contemporary, you know, brighter, lighter, kind of airier feel um, with, you know, beautiful European oak floors and marble, and this house has it. So, you know, I'd say in the last two or three years, we've sold a lot of homes in Mountain Star, and yet people say, you know, I love Mountain Star, but it tends to have traditional homes. I'd like something that has, you know, a more contemporary feel. And 47 Wood Violet has that. You know, it also offers great space, you know, five bedrooms, seven baths, um, over 6,500 square feet, <laughs> excuse me, and three uh, car garage with a heated auto court. So. I mean, you could tell, I could go on and oh, on about yeah. this house. I mean, again, the, the views, those views you know. are majestic. I, you just don't get those anywhere else. And that open floor plan, and like you said, contemporary, when you look at the video and you see even the bedrooms, the placement of the windows throughout this home, allow that natural light to come in and just make everything pop. Yeah, you know, um, we, we always talk about nature and the outdoors here. Well, this house has large glass windows so you know your art for your house in some cases is the view outside the right. window you can right. sit there and you get, you get caught up and staring <laughs> out of that view but the outdoor spaces here they have this beautiful patio that's off the main level off the kitchen and dining room area and there's a nice large outdoor sitting area so you can sit there and you can gaze at that view and you know as you know um the the freeway runs through the vale valley so some people that want no highway impact mountain star is that neighborhood right. hear me again if you want to hear no freeway impact mountain star does that and it does it in such a private setting you know lots of beautiful aspens and and mature pine trees and you could sit there and just watch deer literally walk by your front yard yeah. the birds are chirping you're sipping on coffee 
let's go. Yeah, let's go. I'm ready to move in. And, and with that larger lot size, it engages that privacy even more. And it's like you're on your own mountain oasis. Yeah, and I just love that right out your front door, um, Mountain Star community did a wonderful thing. They preserved a lot of open space, as I mentioned earlier, within the community. So that's going to stay um, there. That's by design. And there's lots of great nature trails, so you can walk out your door and go for a long hike. In the wintertime, um, you can put on uh, snowshoes or cross-country uh, skis, and away you go. And you just have everything there if you want it. And they have a little uh, a gatehouse and if you choose to get social, they have little social events and right. homeowners get together and it, it forms just a really amazing community. And the pace in Mountain Star is designed for people that, you know, want to be in their house and they want right. to hang around there and they're, they're not interested in necessarily being on top of everything all the yeah. time. And they're great gathering houses for families, yeah. you know, and this is one of those. And, and as you pointed out, the gate, the thing that you can't describe in words is the feeling. When you drive through that gate, just going up into that area, it's so relaxing, so serene. It is just the perfect setting here in the mountains. Yeah, and you are um, no more than 10 minutes from Beaver Creek and 20 minutes to Vail. So you don't have to compromise your skiing or access if you want to go to a nice restaurant in Vail or Beaver Creek. Um, it's just moments away, and, and by the way, the drive to and from is, is not punishment. No, it, it's not rough at all. It's not punishment, <laughs> no. It's terrific. You know, it's been fun to, to uh, I, this was one of those houses when the owners called me and said, you know, we're thinking about selling our house. I, I got excited because I've been yeah. waiting for that contemporary style home so I could showcase it to all your viewers and, and talk about it, because sometimes I have to say, I don't really have anything like that right now, and I know that's what you're looking for. Every time you come on the show, I go, you know what, the next time you and I meet, there's no way he's going to outdo the, the home that we just saw, and then you do it again. And yeah. it's like, what an honor for you and your team to be able to have these homes and transition them to a new owner. And I do want to say, and thank you for that, I, I do want to say, the last time I was on your show, a little over a week ago, uh, we showcased two homes. One of those homes I talked about, and it's under contract. Wow. You know, your viewers see that, and they're here watching. They want to hear about real estate instead of seeing those little, you know, small classified ads right. in the paper right. or whatever, or looking at a, a home on their, their phone. But, you know, we have a, a website that you can, you know, go in uh, in more detail to see this home. and. I just absolutely love the opportunity to schedule and provide a, a private tour of this yeah. home or any of the other homes in the valley. It, it's what's really nice is in the community, people ask me, oh my gosh, I saw this beautiful home by the Stockton Group. And I go, you know, you can't say you're purchasing a home from the Stockton Group. You're investing in your lifestyle. And it, that's what this is. It is. The lifestyle drives everything we do in the valley. Why would you buy a home if you haven't really been captivated uh, by the lifestyle and we offer so much i was at the the jazz festival at the solaris plaza last night and it was so fun there was people kids were dancing and you know people way into the music and that's after a long day of whether you've golfed or hiked or right. jeep toured or whitewater raft 
you know, rafted or, or whatever yeah. you've done, you know, I love it. People will say, I sleep so well here yeah. because they're gassed. I mean, yeah. and, and then we put them in those beautiful houses and we just make magic. And, you know, the homes are built by great builders and the Vale Valley does such a great job of offering so many wonderful things from, you know, a two-year-old to, you know, a 98-year-old. That's right. what I love is you right. see, you know, sometimes four generations of families here all spending time together. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And you talk about time. I mean, people are so busy when they're here in the Valley, but what you've done is you've created the immersion theater. So take away the days of driving around from place to place. Let's talk about the immersion theater, how that came about and how that benefits someone looking for a property here in Vail. Yeah, in short terms, the immersion theater is located in my office in the Solaris on the second floor. And we literally created a, a theater-like atmosphere and I created uh, something that I envisioned. I created a digital twin. So we have, we showcase the whole Vail Valley and in the uh, most traditional sense, what we call a discovery tour is when somebody calls and says, I'm, I'm interested in buying a house, right? And they, they don't necessarily know where or what style or what they're looking for. And we spend on average six or eight hours going through driving around the valley and looking at houses uh, only to eliminate um, the vast majority of those. So with the immersion theater, you could see it up on the screen now, what we do is we bring people in and we have a very comfortable setting. So we have every flavor of coffee ever known to man. You know, we have, um, you know, waters and drinks. We, we believe people should have a glass of champagne or wine while they're looking at houses. And they right. sit there in the comfort of, of our immersion theater. And we showcase that. We bring food in from Sweet Basil or Matsuhisa for them. And we do what's called our immersion theater guarantee. And we believe we're the only ones anywhere that can guarantee that will show you 100% of all the inventory exactly when you want to see it. And we go through that process and we get to a short list, which is going to be that maybe one or two houses that you're really interested in. Right. And then we go see those. So we do that whole tour in less than 45 minutes, you know, in the comfort of our office. There's no logistical snafus that happen because we're not calling and changing times. And people go, wow, this is really relaxing and it's nice. It's almost like I'm watching you know, the new uh, latest movie that's out, right. you know, yeah. and, and that's the way it should be. And, and, you know, what I like to say is we give people back their most valuable asset, which is time. You know, right. in some cases we've done it where we've given somebody a full day back because we didn't have to do that tour. That's a full day of vacation right. that, you know, you yeah, can't value, ever get back. You can't put a value on that. So, yeah. you know, what you've done, such an intuitive approach to real estate and getting people to that next phase of their lifestyle. So Ty, thank you again for coming in, showcasing yeah. another beautiful property. If you or anybody you know out there is interested in a new property, don't forget the Stockton Group. The StocktonGroupVail.com is the website. Get a hold of Ty and his team and they will take you on an extravagant tour of Vail, the surrounding area, and find that perfect home that matches that lifestyle. We'll be back soon with more Good Morning Vale.
Welcome back to the show. Terry Sidford is a fantastic author, podcaster, and speaker who Maddie had the opportunity to catch up with about her recent memoir and her online book club. Let's hear what they have to say. A Woman Who Wears Many Hats just released an incredible book to help you find your true meaning of happiness, and that's Terry Sidford. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here because when I say mini hat, speaker, author, podcast host, and a life coach, there's nothing that you don't do to help people really find their true enlightenment in this life. Thank you. Wow, that's quite the introduction. <laughs> I, you know, I think that's been my life purpose, and I think I'm very lucky to have found that in my life. And to help other people is really what fulfills me, and I have can relate to a lot of people because of what I've been through in my life and my new book is my memoir. It tells every story about my life and how I had to overcome adversity to be strong. And that's why I can relate to most people. And I've been given a gift of learning from those lessons. And I, I turn trials into triumph. And I'm very proud of that in my life. And I want everyone to know that no matter what they've gone through in their life, that they can start over and that they can have a fulfilling life and a successful life. Just just learn and, and grow from every experience. So that's really kind of the, the basis of it with three concepts of truth, courage, love. I was just going to say, so Truth, Courage, Love is your second book, but your first memoir. And I have so many questions only because what you did in this book is so inspiring. So what originally inspired you to write Truth, Courage, Love? Well, I've been asked that one a lot. <laughs> And really it's because I had a really big birthday last year and it's, it kind of made me think about my life and you know how, how did I do so far? Is there still some lessons I need to learn? Am I at peace with everything? You know, am I proud? Have I left anything on the table? Is there anything else I need to do? And I, I sat there for a moment thinking, wow, I've had an interesting life yet I am so proud of where I'm at and what I've learned. And now having a rough start, having a great ending to my uh, 60 years. <laughs> yes. You look amazing for being 60. No one would Thank know. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And it's, it's even hard to say, but, it's, but I'm proud. And now I want to give back. I really want people to, to know that no matter what happens, no matter what age you are, you can start again. Just learn, grow, and fulfill your potential at any time of your life. You can start over today and any moment. That's what I hope when you read my book, that you'll learn that, wow, she went through those things and she still was able to do the, the, the things that she's dreamed of doing or never even thought of doing in her life. And I really have a, a tremendous um, uh, humbling um, appreciation which is such an important message for so many people to have, no matter your age, no matter what you've been through, like you said, just to have that little bit of encouragement from someone like you is so empowering. And so let's talk a little bit about what the writing process was like. Ooh, thank you. Interesting enough, uh, which you'll read in my book, I was very, very insecure growing up from my childhood experiences, and I was did not have any confidence. In fact, I remember going home and having to practice writing. I was very, you know, I didn't do well in, in English or in my with my grammar. And, and someone asked me about um, my experience with coaching a lot of women and how strong they were. And I said, I know, they just, they're so strong and they don't see it in themselves. And she said, well, why don't you write a book? 
I looked at her like she was from, you know, outer space. Like, no, I can't write a book. This is not me. And she said, Tara, I'm going to help you. So what I have learned in these now my second book is that if you have a story or a message, you just you can get it out there. You, and there's people that can help you. I just got the story out. I did a lot of writing and then I had someone help me with the grammar and making sure it, it's edited and it's a beautiful process. And I, I, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I know most people do have a story to tell. We all do. And so if I can, I can write the book, which was hard. I mean, it's a lot of work. You have to be dedicated to it, but it's so worth it. So worth it. Well, and it's so incredible for you to share your story now as you were writing this book because it is talking about some hardship and it is giving that most vulnerable side to you. When you were writing it, did you have any moments of shock about how open you were being with the readers? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, many, many times I thought, why on earth would I be telling this story or, or, or will people understand it or will someone be upset with this story? I mean, it's kind of the whole gambit. And I, I asked myself, well, it wouldn't be tr being truthful and honest if I didn't tell all the stories. And it's, the, it's really what happened, and that's okay. And isn't it empowering to know that we can tell our stories and be okay with that? And we should be okay with that. And yes, so there's stories that were um, really difficult to tell, but I'm, I, I wanted to be transparent. I wanted to be honest, and I'm proud of that. And your vulnerability is going to give so many other people strength, just in having that kind of moment of comparison and that moment of truth that maybe you're going to help other people live, I think is so empowering. And so congratulations on your book. Thank you. And thank, thank you so much for being so wonderful to share all of this information with others. Oh, you're welcome. It's really an honor for me. And I, I, I would just want to help everyone know that, you know, you don't have to be defined by your past. You really don't. And you can um, turn trials into triumph. Just just learn, grow, ask people for, for help. And you can still live the life of your dreams and your potential. That's the message I want everyone to know. Which I think is such a wonderful message. Now, if people are interested, obviously, in reading your first book and your second book, where can they buy them? On Amazon. Uh, you can just go to Amazon. You can either type in Terry Sidford, and uh, that's T-E-R-R-Y, Sidford, and my, the title of my books, and they'll pop up, 100 Hearts, spelled out, 100 Hearts, and Truth, Courage, Love. Truth, Courage, Love sounds like the perfect book for maybe anyone going through some hardship. Now, you also have a great podcast, really giving people those extra stories for courage to find their inner strength. And you really focus a lot on helping people find their true happiness. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Well, I also started a group called Choose Courage Movement because I've started out kind of an expert with courage. And I wanted to share with the audience or as many people as I, I can these stories of courage because I think the more that we hear stories of courage through my podcast and I, I try to have very interesting guests is that the more we see it in ourselves and the more that we see it in ourselves the more courageous we become in a daily life and so that's my whole goal and it is so fun to to find these amazing people and their amazing stories so if there's anyone out there that feels like they do have an amazing story I would love 
for you to contact me on that. I would love to interview on my, my podcast. Which I think is so cool that you are giving people not only the platform to share their moments of maybe feeling their most courageous, but you're also giving people just that little bit of comfort knowing that there are people going through similar things and enduring similar things. Now, you're also a life coach. So if people are interested in maybe just having the opportunity to talk with you and listen to your story a little bit more personally and have you give them those words of wisdom that you so generously shared in your book, how can they do so? They can contact me on my website, which is Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Sidford, S-I-D-F-O-R-D.com, TerrySidford.com, and just reach out to me and we can have a consultation to see if this coaching is right for you. I'm here to just help anyone take things to the next level if they feel like there's something that's in the way. And it really, it's, an, it's a fun and exciting process. It's like having your cheerleader right next to you. <laughs> Which I think everyone needs. My mom always says that to me. She's like, just rally your inner cheerleader, Maddie, and you'll be fine. You'll get through it. And so I love to hear that. And I really love what you do. I think that having people like you in our community, in our lives, and just out there to spread the positivity and really just that like driving force forward to help people find their best selves is so powerful. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It really feels like a dream for me to be able to do what I feel like is my life purpose. And that's what I like to help other people find in their life. Because once you're doing what you love and what really lights you up and inspires you, then it's contagious. It's just like that ripple effect. It will, it will, it will affect everyone around you. So it's really why we should all live our potential and our purpose in life. You are a beautiful force to be reckoned with. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much. I'm really happy that I could have this time with you today. We're really happy to have you, and we really do appreciate all the hard work that you do. Thank you. Make sure that you go on Amazon and you buy her book, and that way maybe you can share your stories as well because it's a therapeutic way to find your inner courage. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back from the break, we've got more of the show, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. We had the great opportunity to catch up with the author of the new book, Skirts and Suits, about women and business and their place in their workforce and how they can stay empowered. Let's take a look right now. Are you looking for a great book to read and have you been struggling maybe in your career choice? Well, then there is one out there on the market called Suits and Skirts Game On, the Battle of Corporate Power. And we've got the author joining me first thing this morning, Teresa Freeburn. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you, Madeline. I really love everything about your book. Unfortunately, I did not have time to go through every single chapter, but I did skim each chapter, especially because there are such good names in there, like the one that's like, stop, you're stepping on my skirt. And so <laughs> let's talk about what inspired you to write this book. Oh, absolutely. And I guess the other part, too, is it's not just about the book, but it's about who I directed it to. So... You know, I've directed the book specifically to men, and I think that the, the whole reason that came out is because no one else seems to have done it, okay, for starters. But, you know, I don't think it's any um, secret here. Women have been seeking power for decades, but to no avail. And, and my thesis is that men are actually the ones holding and keeping women back from attaining powerful C-suite and board positions. 
And the bottom line is what's really important here because it's to the detriment of the corporate bottom line. And of course, the reasons vary, but um, the results don't. I think you just have to do the math. And women are still very highly underrepresented in leadership roles. And in the book, I'm, strict, I'm actually speaking directly to the men that are blocking women's corporate advancement. So it's kind of this no hold bards discussion. And it will no doubt ruffle some feathers out there. And you wrote this book, I would imagine, from some of your personal experience and what you had been through in the corporate world. Yes, I did. Um, I have worked for decades in the financial services industry, which is a pretty male-dominated industry to start with. So, yes, I, I bring all of those learnings over the many decades and um, try and get them into some concise matter here. And I, I guess what fuels me on this, too, is, you know, I keep hearing you, you read the newspaper clippings and they talk about, you know, all the progress that women have made in senior management and advancement and leadership. But I guess at the end of the day, if you call an increase in the Fortune 500 of 40 female CEOs over the course of 50 years a success, then I think we all need to question those math skills. You know, one female CEO in 1972 and now 44 in 2022, 50 years, I don't think that's an improvement. And I, I think it's ridiculous and it's pathetic and it's, it's shameful. So, you know, I think what happens, we sort of get complacent. When we hear the news, we, we hear about all the progress. We isolate one woman that got a promotion and we talk about that. But at the end of the day, I don't know, I feel that a goal like 50-50 would be a good way to, to set out a goal. And if you think of the population and the education that women now have and the, the history and experience that they have, it, it's like it's time for them to take their rightful place here. And I think the world will be very different if that if that can happen. I love this so much. I'm one of six children and I have four brothers. And so even in my small household, I feel like it's a fight for power just amongst those little things. And so to take that to an industry much larger, let's take it to the big, huge corporate world. Women do have to fight harder. And you know, this is something I've recently noticed. I feel like the strategy that is used is they pit women against each other. Oh, yeah, it's always easy to do that, right? It's like women are the blame for the reason why we can't be um, advanced corporately. You know, I, I think it's it's about there's some sabotaging going on out there, I believe, and that, you know, corporations, which are primarily led by men, they seem to be a bit oblivious to it. You know, they're indifferent um, or worse, they're overtly obstructive to matters relating to the event, advancement of women. So if you really think about it, though, the major roadblock is men's lack of advocacy for women. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. But I think that there's still some pretty old fashioned views out there. I think there's a lot of um, leaders that still consider that sort of that old, you know, work family narrative to be a big problem still. You know, here's the reality. Women can have children and still be great at our jobs. OK, I know it's a shocker, but, um, you know, all these questions about maternity leave and you know, the motherhood penalty is it is real. And these things are huge roadblocks for women to get ahead. And then, of course, you start talking about things like what about the networks? We always say, oh, well, women, you know, get involved with your ne networks. That's going to really help advance you in leadership. Here's the problem. Women's networks aren't working. Men's networks work really well because guess who they've got in those networks? All the men that are in those very powerful positions. We don't have as many in the women's networks. And I guarantee you, no man wants to join a women's network because there's no power there. Why would they? Where, where's the advancement going to come from? So, uh oh, 
I think we have maybe lost a little bit of connection and I feel like all of these points that you are making are so fantastic and this book is just so inspiring not only for women to read it but for men to read it. So let's go back to where we just left off with you talking about these groups and these networking groups. Yes, um, my view there is that women's networks just aren't working. Um, men's networks work really well. Um, and that's because there's a lot of powerful people in the men's network. So if you think about it, would you think a man would want to join a woman's network? Not a chance. There's no one there that they're going to gain more power from, learn from, you know, follow the footsteps of. That just doesn't work that way. So we're at a disadvantage right there. And the boys clubs are pretty entrenched in corporations today. You know, um, just the idea that, um, you know, men don't think anything of, you know, going for a drink after work. What are women doing? We're rushing home to our families to get dinner on and get kids looked after and homework done and baths done. Oh no, I think that we've lost your connection again, but all of this information is so powerful and these are pieces and tidbits that people can get from your book so people can have this understanding. I feel like it's so powerful when women write books, sharing their experience, that way people can live through their eyes a little bit. And so this is a way for everyone to live through your eyes about what you would went through in corporate America. Thank you, yes, it is. And I, I hope that, um, folks get the same sort of takeaway that I did, and that is is to imagine a world um, and what it would look like if women held a proportionate share of leadership roles, that is in the C-suite and at the board table. Think of what those agendas and those discussions and strategies and results will be. So that's what I leave your viewers with. Well, I have another question for you. As you were writing the book, what steps did you learn along the way? Because obviously there's a lot that went into this book, a lot of personal experience, but you want more than just that. So what other resources did you use as you were writing the book? Well, I did some primary research as well. I went out and did some online research um, with about 260 participants because I thought I want to have something to ground the book, make sure that it's not just Teresa's opinions here. Um, and it, it, it was great because it really did sort of ground my thinking and my, um, my thesis here. So that was very helpful. But of course, I have so many stories. And if, as, as I start to talk to um, people in powerful positions and they start to tell me their stories, again, it just validates where I was coming from to start with. I think this is something we just don't talk about too much or not enough as to the reasons why women are sitting at that very stagnated level. To say that 25% of board positions are now filled by women, why? Why isn't it 50? Like, I mean, I, I'm shocked by that. But to hear all of the reasons why, like, well, thank you, Teresa. You, you know, you're, you'd make a really good board member. However, we just don't have any openings at this time. Well, then make the damn openings. You know, that's kind of how I feel. So I think that the more I talk to people out there, the more I want to go and buy, you know, sort of write that next book because there's so much more to say. So there's a lot to say and there's a lot to learn from your books. Now, as it's going out into the world and people can get their hands on it, how do you think this could change experiences for women across the country? Well, that's a, it's a good question you're asking because although I wrote it for, for men, that's really who it's directed at. I've talked to some of my uh, mentees. I have a few women that, are, um, that like to chat with me on a regular basis, which is fantastic. I love doing that. And they just said, no, Teresa, it's, it's great that you've written it to direct at men, but as a young woman, I needed a playbook and I just got one. And I think that that's just a very telling um, situation because I think that they honestly don't know about, you know, what they should say when they're in positions that I've described in the book and how to react. 
and sort of how to keep their cool, but yet get their point across. So, yeah, I think that was just a really great observation. I think it's so powerful what you're doing only because you are becoming an activist for women all over and it whether it's at that C-suite and board level or whether it's at a lower position like I was telling you I worked in that marketing firm for a little while and it was hard work I was fighting tooth and nail to constantly have my ideas be heard but if the same idea was proposed by someone else then it was immediately like that was a great idea and I was like this makes no sense to me like I said that a week yeah. ago with a full page exactly. deck too. <laughs> And, and it's funny because I've had that exact same experience I've, I've talked about it in the book and it, not once, not twice, several times where I had such a great idea. And then I realized, why is this now such a great idea? It wasn't an idea like a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, but now it is. So, And it was because a man in a more senior position in a, in a leadership role actually made the position known to everyone and everyone, oh, that's a great idea, but they weren't listening to me. So I feel sometimes that I'm a, I'm a little... And this has gone back for decades that I'm kind of invisible, even though you're sitting at an executive table, that your view just isn't as respected and considered as much as other men in the room. So it's real. The struggle is real. It's so real. Now, if people would like to read your book, obviously it's directed towards men, but I do think it's a great playbook for women to get their hands on and maybe just give them those little tidbits of advice on how to talk to someone, how to stand up for themselves, learning from your experiences and all of the other research you've done. Where can they buy your book? Right now, it's available on Amazon, so please go ahead and, and, and order that. Um, just look it up under Suits and Skirts, Game On, Freeborn, and you will get that. It's on pre-order until next week, and it gets released, so it'll be in your hands very shortly. It's also available on other booksellers like Barnes & Noble as well, so help yourself, and it's in Kindle, softcover, and hardcover. Teresa, thank you so much for giving us all this great information. Thank you for being the voice that women everywhere in corporate America need. We all really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Madeline. It's been my pleasure to chat with you. We'll talk soon. Make sure that you go online. You pre-order her book while you can. If not, then wait until it's released, but get your hands on it just because it's a great guide and really a great lesson for everyone to learn. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we've got more of the show. Welcome back to the show. Avisha Scarborough of Vale Vibes had the opportunity to check out Kimo Sabe and see what they're all about over in Vale Village. Let's take a look. Hi friends, Avisha Scarborough here. Welcome to Vale Vibes. We are right in the heart of Vale Village and I'm about to take you hat shopping at one of Colorado's most iconic stores. There's something about the cowboy hat a symbol of classic Americana that never goes out of style. And if you're looking for the real deal, Angelica Hastings says, come to Kimosabi. We sell Stetsons and our own Kimosabi hats, and they're all made the old-fashioned way. There isn't a better way of doing them. Even the machines that make them are from the early 1900s. So they're very true to the original cowboy hats and very authentic. She says putting on a cowboy hat immediately boosts your confidence. You have a little bit of swagger with a hat on and people look at you different and they, you know, they're like, ooh, who is that cool girl? <laughs> so hats are fun. And part of the fun is the experience of shopping itself. 
She says that all Kimosabi employees go through extensive training on all things hats in order to provide the best service to customers. It's very exciting for them to come here and get their hat, and we like to focus on them. And since I'm shopping for a new cowboy hat, she gave me a taste of what Kimosabi customer service is all about, starting with sizing, followed by trying on hats and more hats. And once you find the right one, it's time for the best part, personalizing your hat with hat bands, feathers, charms, jewels, and even miniature knives. This is Leah Bilski. She got her first custom hat when she started working at Kimosabi almost two years ago. Like you have a hat on, you can basically do anything. And hats aren't the only thing they sell. There's boots, bags, belts. Today I'm wearing these. And of course, lots of jewelry. Of mine. Now this you need to see right side up. This is Nancy Rose, owner of The Good Stuff. She says a Kimosabi hat is the perfect accessory to go with her jewelry. I like the word edgy because my jewelry is a little edgy too. And it sort of works with my turquoise jewelry. And if you want to turn your shopping experience into more of a party, you can do that here in Kimosabi's VIP room. This room is reserved for their super VIP customers, but almost anyone can rent it out for a special occasion. A lot of bachelorette parties, for sure. Really anything. We've even had a baby shower here. <laughs> yeah. And about as much attention to detail that goes into their hats went into decorating this room. This is our bar. Um, we found it in Pennsylvania. It's an old saloon bar from the turn of the century. So it's the real deal. <laughs> Whether you're shopping or just browsing, Angelica says come on by the store for a fun experience. And like the founder Tom Yoder likes to say, anyone can be a cowboy, even just for a day. For TV8 in Vail, I'm Avisia Scarborough. Thank you so much for joining us on this July 31st edition of Good Morning Vale. Happy Monday. I hope you've had a chance to enjoy your coffee and are taking away some fantastic business tips to help you with the week. Until then, you can always catch us at tv8vale.com. And don't forget, there's always more for you on 92. Have a great rest of your morning.